Welcome to the Fem Health Podcast, where we focus on providing clarity and evidence-based facts in female health and wellness. The internet, or as us physicians like to say, Dr. Google, can be overwhelming for patients seeking reliable information. And unfortunately, not all of that information is backed by research, science, and real doctors. Here, we pride ourselves on demystifying medicine for you and giving you access to some of the most talented medical doctors or experts in their field. I'm your host, Dr. Sayanagori, and I interview doctors so you can have an inside look at what I would ask my colleagues if I had a medical question. Let's get started with today's episode. polycystic ovarian syndrome, which is a terrible name for what the condition actually is, but it is a complex heterogeneous disorder, meaning not everybody's PCOS looks the same, but it's characterized by ovulation uh, disruption, so dysfunctional ovulation, which may result in uh, irregular periods or delayed ovulation, delayed period, an excess of androgens, which are hormones in our body that um, you know women and men have. Men have in higher proportions than women, but having um, more androgens in women or other people with ovaries can result in some symptom, acne, facial hair, um, hair loss. Mm-hmm. Um, Etc. I mean, you said it was a terrible well, name. The Why name polycystic ovarian syndrome implies that people have lots of ovarian cysts. And the name came from an ap- characteristic appearance of the ovary on ultrasound, where there are little small cysts called follicles, which are the little small cysts that house our eggs, line up around the edge of the ovary. So they're not cysts in the way that you would think of, you know, that caused pain or, um, you know, that may result in in needing surgery. Uh, So it's not, um, and not everybody with PCOS actually has this appearance on ultrasound. So for that reason, I think it's not such a great descriptive name for what the syndrome really is. Yeah, so it's probably something that was found once and then the name stuck and just never change. So you don't need to have Correct. cystic ovaries. So, to so have we now PCOS. use, um, there are many different okay. criteria out there, but um, the main one and the one that's really recommended by most international societies is called the Rotterdam criteria, in which you need two out of three characteristics. Okay. And so those are uh, irregular or infrequent ovulation or, you know, or menses, menstruated androgens, either by blood test or by symptoms. And then thirdly is that appearance on ultrasound. So you can have the first two and not the third and still have PCO. You're welcome. Okay. All right. Great. Thank you so much. So once you have PCOS, so, uh, it can't be, be cured. PCOS is a chronic disease and it is has multiple different uh, causes. And in any one person, there are probably multiple different factors. So there are about, as we know, 20 different candidate genes. So genes that may be responsible for PCOS. Plus, there are epigenetic changes, which are changes due to exposures when we're fetuses in our mom's uterus. Um, and then many environmental factors that factor into PCOS, including nutrition and lifestyle, and then other you know, environmental toxins and such. But just because PCOS can't be cured, it can be managed such that most of your PCOS symptoms can you know be minimized or eliminated, but that underlying risk is still there. 
and there's no way to remove the cyst from without the not without but... removing all of your you know your eggs your follicles which you know certainly we don't want to do that well actually and that is that, that even a, help a, a treatment of old um they used to do what's called a wedge oh. infection um, where they would actually remove part of people's ovaries to uh, to minimize yeah to minimize oh, wow. the impact of having all those uh, you know all those un um, what we call sort of unready follicles or, or antral follicles and it was called a wedge resection but that is not something that's done anymore for obvious reasons we don't want to be taking away people's right people's eggs and their ovarian tissue. What are some of the so, kind of more common treatments so, for PCOS these days? PCOS, even though it's not part of the diagnostic criteria, 75 to 95% of people with PCOS have insulin resistance. So some of the treatment centers around treating the insulin resistance. Number one, first and foremost, everybody who has a diagnosis of PCOS should be counseled about nutrition and other lifestyle factors like sleep, really important, exercise, and stress management. And then looking at what a particular person's, you know, through their lab values and the symptoms they experience is gonna guide the treatment. So probably the first, I'll just talk about the first two like most common treatments. The first one being oral contraceptives. And there's a lot of controversy in the PCOS world and PCOS space about the use of oral contraceptives to treat PCOS. And I think really the problem lies in the education around why it, it may be a good idea for certain people. And so what oral contraceptives do for people with PCO are, are basically three things. One, it helps to give people a predictable menstrual cycle or a predictable period, even though it's not a real period. Um, that helps with people who really struggle with, you know, the annoying surprise periods or the annoying really heavy periods that com can come along with PCOS. Number two, um, because people with PCOS often have an excess of estrogen and an inadequate amount of progestin or progesterone, we produce progesterone, putting people on oral contraceptives actually reduces the increased risk that they have of something called endometrial hyperplasia, which is a precancerous condition to endometrial cancer. And that is something that's more common. Okay. And then lastly, oral contraceptives that have estrogen in them increase a protein in our blood called sex hormone binding globulin. And that protein actually binds to testosterone and that helps to treat symptoms like acne and facial hair. So even though it's not a cure for PCOS, it is a great way to manage multiple symptoms. That being said, people need to be educated okay. about why it's being used. Um, they need to understand that when they stop using it, they, they may have a resumption of their symptoms. It's not gonna cure their symptoms. And so there needs to be a really um, thorough risk benefit discussion. And not everybody's a candidate for combined um, hormonal contraception. So some people just can't take estrogen because of other health conditions that they have. So I think a lot of the, the um, backlash against oral contraceptives in PCOS comes from really just a lack of that discussion happening. And then, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, that I was going to ask you now about um, lifestyle changes because, you know, I know that's an area of your expertise. 
what's the role of weight loss, if any, so, in managing you know, PCOS? Unfortunately, people with PCOS have this metabolic dysfunction. Um, many, like the vast majority, have insulin resistance, which can make weight loss more challenging for than for somebody who doesn't have insulin resistance. Now, the problem with insulin resistance is it makes it harder to lose weight but then also having an excess of body fat also can worsen insulin resistance. So it is this sort of vicious cycle. It has been shown that modest mm -hmm. weight loss, even if it's just 5% of body, uh, you know, body weight loss can improve the insulin resistance and then can improve PCOS symptoms. Although I always caution and I always worry because I'm somebody who really counsels people about nutrition that is the weight loss really a proxy for just all the improved behaviors that are getting us to the weight loss? And is that improving the PCOS versus, you know, is it actually the reduction in body fat? So, uh, you know, I always try to focus on the behaviors as the goal and the improvements of the symptoms as a goal versus, you know, solely weight loss. That makes a lot of sense. So what kind of behavior specifically do yeah. you see that so for people who, especially for people who have insulin resistance reducing the amount of refined carbohydrates obviously and increasing fiber intake so increasing whole grains fruits vegetables uh you know legumes beans lentils um you know educating about how to combine meals so that people feel full and are getting enough fiber and are getting enough protein and are getting enough healthy fats getting enough healthy fats is really important right. so trying to shift away from saturated fats to monounsaturated fats and getting enough omega -3. Um, so you know there's a lot of and then including things that are um you know nuts i think are really also a great source of getting those healthy fats and good snacks and so finding out where people are and just trying to move towards a place that is going to you know suit them and, and work better for them and, and alleviate some of the insulin resistance what kind of nuts specifically all walnuts yeah or a good variety um yeah. each of them sort of have different almonds are a good source of calcium walnuts are even a you know really great source of ala um, brazil nuts have selenium so trying to mix it up awesome and so getting back to the to the weight loss question you said five percent what is the um... No, so there's well, really uh, no benefit you know, beyond 5%. Uh, there, there might be. There might be, you know, a benefit beyond 5%, um, even 10%. It really depends on the degree of somebody's uh, adipose. And also, it's important to acknowledge the weight loss should be fat loss. And so that people are not really restricting too much so that they're losing lean body mass because lean body mass is very difficult then to build back up. And that's important for health and that's important for insulin resistance. And that's important as we age. And so losing um, lean body mass is not gonna be helpful. So, you know, if somebody really has a lot to lose, then maybe there may be multiple benefits for them losing a larger amount. But studies have shown people need to, you know, that benefit really starts at 5%. And so it doesn't mean that, you know, more isn't going to make additional improvements, but, you know, weight loss is hard. So we try not to make it so uh, difficult that the goals are impossible to, to reach. People talk a lot about yep. metformin and yeah. PCOS. So that's the other. What are your thoughts? I, I said I wanted to talk about two different medications. The other one would be metformin or other insulin sensitizing agents. 
So metformin is the prescription medication that we use for insulin resistance. Um, there's a supplement that has just been demonstrated um, to be as effective as metformin and that's called inositol and that's a very popular supplement that people with PCOS use and find good results um, and so and then there are a few other I don't want to get into the other supplements but there are some other agents out there but those are the two uh, most popular and helping the insulin resistance helps the the ovary to function and it also helps with the it also helps with weight loss awesome so this was such a fantastic discussion. Before we um, say goodbye, any other final kind of recommendations from the dietary perspective and as a perspective yeah. of, you know, as So I would say the, the thing that really um, motivates me is what I've seen over the years in my work as a dietitian nutritionist and as an OBGYN is that oftentimes PCOS is treated, you know, multiple different disorders. And so people often go to multiple different specialists to manage their symptoms. So sometimes by the time I'll see somebody, they've seen a dermatologist, they've seen an endocrinologist, they have a psychiatrist, because there's all these different conditions that go along with PCOS that are not managed as a whole. And so people end up being on multiple different medications and, and you know, don't really know what's going on and maybe haven't had a thorough discussion about what is PCOS and what is the impact on their life? Because it is a chronic disease that's gonna affect people at different life stages. So it may affect your period and, and you find that annoying. But if you don't also appreciate the fact that it may make it difficult to get pregnant. Sometimes people find, you know, that's not on their mind at the time of their diagnosis and they're blindsided, you know, 10 years down the line when they decide they wanna start a family. People also need to appreciate the fact that it mm -hmm. increases the risk for diabetes, it increases the risk for gestational diabetes, it increases the risk for heart disease. Um, people with PCOS often are, you know, they're at higher risk for mood disorders. So it needs, the discussion really needs to be happening at the time of diagnosis. And I think we as OBGYNs, family physicians, primary care physicians, even pediatricians who are seeing, you know, people in adolescence in their late teen years need to do a better job about laying out what does PCOS mean across the lifespan so that patients really have a better understanding and can really take um, charge of their life and be more involved in their, in their health decisions and really appreciate why they need to make some of these changes. Yeah, that, that's so as, true. As the education know. is really half the battle when, when it comes to especially chronic diseases. Well, this was really, really helpful. I learned so much. Uh, where can our followers uh, find you, um, yep. you know, on Instagram, social, so you can find your website? At, uh, on Instagram at Dr. Basma Ferris. Um, I also have a website, Basma I'm soon, like I'm weeks away, um, from launching a telemedicine practice for people with PCOS. Um, right now, I'm only licensed in New York and Florida, but if you reside in New York or Florida and you'd like to see me, uh, you'll be able to do that soon. So you can just follow my social. Instagram for that practice is polyprep, P-O, and the name comes because really it's all about education. So it's prep school for your PCOS, and then you'll be able to find out when I'm, I'm ready to open theoretical doors because it's going to be all telemedicine awesome thank awesome. you all right well great to have thanks you thanks for having thank me you so much for your information Bye. 
Thanks for listening to the Fem Health Podcast. If you've enjoyed our content, please take a couple minutes to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you consume podcast content. If you want to hear more from us, follow us on social media. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and threads at Fem Health Project. Can't wait to see you there.